0: perspective like uh what time is tea time at the layover or what time is my commute flight home to (laughs) xyz
1: destination right yeah weirdly all my flights seem to be faster the last few days of the trip yeah Yeah. so there's what we plan for and there's other things that come into
2: now so okay Okay, so how does your schedule work like uh well probably a dumb question so so you know i'm the only pilot not in this room right now they, well, one, person number one flies a big aircraft. Um, person number two is presumably going to fly a big aircraft. Uh, and I fly big aircraft on my flights sim. So um, I'm not out of the game, but less cooler for sure. So. No.
0: Um, all right. So for me, I have to bid on my schedule month to month. Right. So with that comes some decisions on, okay, I have to look ahead. Let's say for right now, we're going to have to bid for August and I have to look at, okay, what do I have coming up next month? I have my wife's birthday. um, I want to watch the dog, my neighbor's dog next month. What do I do? So right now I have a bid in for next month where I'm trying to get specific days off. Right Uh, right now, depending on the length of the month, I can get anywhere from 12 to 14 days off by default. And Mm -hmm. then it changes as the time gets closer. But right now, I'm bidding for what's called reserve, which means I'm basically an on call pilot. Uh, By default, we get a 12 hour call out that says, hey, you know, need you to be ready in 12 hours. That's totally fine. Um, Eventually, I'll be what's called a line holder, where I'll be able to bid for specific trips and um, you know, I'll be able to, you know, if I want to go to Stockholm next month, I can put in my preference for that. And it basically, it's all seniority based and okay. that's kind of how I bid my schedule month
2: to month. No, that's cool. Cause when I hear reserve, I think, uh, pilots in like a in like a locker room that are dressed, ready to go. And as soon as you get called. <laughs> that you're, that you're does right exist now. at
1: some airlines. It's yeah. called ready reserve
2: or yeah. airport oh, really?
1: appreciation and, and is, that, the, is the funny way of describing it. But, and it yeah. does
0: exist at my airline too. It okay.
1: used to exist at us. It, it was basically sort of the last, the last line of defense for an airline to maintain a schedule. So at at uh, the the regional carrier I worked with, we had to be at the aircraft in fifteen minutes, getting the call. Um, that's usually if uh, you know a, a plane breaks down or a crew times out, you're right there at the airport, ready to quote unquote respond.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good to know. Because uh, how many times have I flown in the past, and they're like, "Oh, we have a coup coming in." and i was like does the crew know that they're coming in but i know reserve that's where you start your flying career right i'm assuming
0: uh for the most part traditionally uh yeah that's it tends to go pretty junior uh, how we call it but uh nowadays there's been so much movement in the industry that um you know you might find pilots that have only been at the company six months to a year that are actually already line holders where oh, wow. traditionally that hasn't really always been the case
2: i have noticed the age of pilots doing walk-arounds that i drive by <laughs> Has significantly dropped in the past couple of years. Yeah, and, I mean that's encouraging for people like yourself. So full uh, throttle
1: on hiring. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: and uh, not to say I, I've thought about being a pilot. Nick and uh, and Pete, who are my guests today, uh, will tell you that I have had different midlife crises, quarterly crises, and I guess you know who knows what the future holds. But it's good to know that people are getting the jobs that they want, which makes me happy. So with us today, we have Pete, I'm not going to say his last name uh, like I did on the first try. So (laughs) Pete, uh, Fufa Regional Carrier, he's waiting to get into his bigger carrier, and uh, he has a lot to look forward to in the coming months. So Pete, say hi. (laughs) Hello, everyone. He also, uh, and uh, Nick is my other guest. Uh, Nick, I don't know if I told you, if you want a GPU, you want to talk to Pete.
1: Okay. Can we talk about that? Is that fair game? Yes, that's fair game. I mean, uh, the great thing about the the airline industry is, you know, when you have 12, 14 days off, you you have some room to do some other things. So I was fortunate to actually start a, a GPU leasing business. Yeah, started last year. So I've been working with FBOs and airlines and getting new equipment out. You guys,
2: obviously, it's a little easier to protect where you work. I think people can use context clues to find out where I work. So if you follow the blog, which uh, numbers say you haven't. So I uh, know that a lot of your GPUs sit on the airfield I work at and they're getting used every day. So um, we're
1: very lucky. We've been having some good months. We hope to continue to grow.
2: Yeah, no, you keep growing, and you got a cool name. I won't say it; you'll so let you say it because I'll mess it up. And then uh, Nick's with us, so Nick, can we say you work for four airlines. Are we sure, to? yeah, this is my fourth yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, sure, why not? But it's your it'll an be industry
1: your, veteran over there. Yeah.
2: <laughs> it'll be your hopefully fourth and final one.
0: Yeah, uh, unless uh, COVID Part Three happens. Yeah, I don't want to
2: knock on wood, but you know, yeah. you never know. I and mean, that kind of plays into our point with everything: is you know, people talk about the. The staffing crisis, and it's not just a staffing crisis for pilots and, uh, you know, it's it's everybody in aviation right now is struggling to staff up. You never know what the future, you know, we have a staffing problem now. We might have a different staffing problem in the future where you, you can't find anybody. Well, I guess you can't find any pilots now. I guess if you ask anybody who works that, they'll be the first ones to tell you. You know, I don't know how that affects you guys, but you're in a good position. So thought to feel good about. How about this? How did you get into aviation?
1: Well, for me, it was sort of always uh, uh, something. I don't know. Growing up, we were fortunate to travel a lot. Mm -hmm. And I remember just being glued to the terminal window and thinking airplanes were the coolest thing in the world. After nagging my parents long enough for my 12th birthday, they gave me a flight lesson. And they said, all right, you're going to love it or you're going to hate it. And almost 3,000 hours later and a couple licenses and a few jet type ratings, uh, here I am, you know, working for the airline, hopefully off to the big metal soon. But uh, no, haven't looked back, haven't regretted it.
2: That's awesome. Yeah, I don't think I've met anybody that's regretted it, which is encouraging. Because if you like aviation, you're very specifically like aviation, you know. We're all playing nerds here, thankfully. (laughs) Um, Some people end up in the industry that aren't. I don't understand those people, but they're there. So, and then Nick, I know your story, but you have to tell it to the audience. Yeah, sure. Why not?
0: <laughs> so um, I guess for me, I grew up um, just uh, underneath the final approach path to the two twos in Newark, and it was kind of a natural progression for me. I would just literally be trying to go to sleep at night as a little kid and have the bright strobes of uh, you know Continental Airlines 777 blasting through my window. So it was a natural progression where in high school, uh, you know, I was always curious about the planes flying overhead. One day, I actually decided to take a trip to Newark Airport by myself when I was about 15. And I'll never forget, I was taking pictures of planes. And the next thing I know, there was a Port Authority police officer on my back questioning what I was doing. I think I was 15. What is wrong with people? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, this might've been the dead of January too. So it might've been all of 12 degrees out. Right. And,
2: uh, Give you credit.
0: Yeah. You know, I got escorted by uh, police and I had to have my parents come pick me up and they were asking me what I was doing. And I said, well, I just liked airplanes. And yeah. I wanted to take pictures. That's kind of a weird way to segue in there. But uh, after that, I, I uh, took my first uh, okay. lesson uh, for a private pilot when I was 17. Immediately fell in love with it. It was just a matter of how I was going to be able to uh, afford the rest of my flight training just because I was trying to navigate going to college at the same time. Eventually, I found my way through schooling and working and uh, worked in airport operations for a little bit. Went all the way to being a flight instructor, aerial survey pilot, worked my way up to the regionals for a little bit. And uh, in between then and now, it's been a regional, a cargo carrier, and two major carriers. That's awesome.
2: And yeah, you both have grinded. And I think that's what it comes down to. Pay your dues and eventually it works out, hopefully. Medical pending for one of us here. So for me, I don't know uh, how much you know about Worcester in Massachusetts. Uh, They have a poppin' airport there, and I grew up on the approach to 2-9.
0: I follow it on Twitter. Follow it on
2: Twitter, right? Yeah. During my lifetime, I think we had two carriers. (laughs) I remember when I was younger, around 2000 2001, there was some carriers that got me interested, but a lot of them ended up leaving. So I knew an airport that had no planes. And then, uh, I mean, they had Allegiant for a little bit and Direct Air, which I'm sure we'll talk about at some point in the podcast. Ponzi Schemes, I'm a big fan. Uh, Allegedly. Remember, if you have to make a claim or anything, it's allegedly. Or you can cite a source that does not exist, which is where most of my content from the blog comes anyways. Perfect. Just just make Mm -hmm. it up and say it's an anonymous source. So Perfect. Right, right. So I guess I had a little bit unique of a of a interest because my my entire family's police, fire, EMS, and I'm the I'm the guy that likes planes, and that's how I describe myself. So even in my my brother's best man speech, I was like, I like planes. So I thought about flying, and I think honestly, like I say, it was a business decision in a way, but I think I was nervous to fly when I was younger. You know, I I just couldn't overcome that fear. I don't know if it was heights or just flying. But luckily in, in the airport I'm at now, I got some people that were pilots and they brought me up a couple of times. And I was like, this isn't bad. This is actually very fun. And I love flying. I'll fly anywhere. So when I go home to visit, I fly. Worcester has a couple of flights from New York City to, to Worcester. So I'm always on those. People are like, why don't you drive? And what do I say? I like planes. You like Embraer 190s. <laughs> Embraer 190s. I have my seat, 18D. Yeah. Um, and that flight actually uh, does not exist anymore. They moved it to Orlando, uh, which was a good business move, but it, you know it felt personal to me. It felt like they were reading my tweets and they were like, this guy, we got to take his flight away. So <laughs> I was on I was on uh, Delta and then American recently, so I gotta see which one I like better.
0: Yeah, I think you should really consider uh, reaching out to our boy, uh, David Nealman, and right. see if we can get Breeze on that market.
2: Yeah, well, I texted him. Yeah. He's not texting me back. No. Um, I don't know if it, if I upset him, because we're close friends. I'm sure, I'm friends. sure you are. Yeah. I, uh, you know, so Breeze flies to the air, uh, airport that I work at. I, I have no problem being very blatantly hint at the airport I work at without saying it. You know what I'm saying? So it's interesting to watch them as an airline, because... They're really, like, uh, I posted about it a couple weeks ago. It's as if the JetBlue versus Southwest of the early 2000s. Now you have that with Avello and Breeze. They're doing big things in New Haven, Avello, and Breeze is countering it. And I don't know how you guys feel about the ultra-low-cost carriers and what they mean for air service, but it's fun to watch. You know, it's like watching a dumpster fire sometimes, but allegedly...
1: Allegedly. No, I think it's exciting for, for the, the new entrants and the low-cost carriers, the, or the ultra-low-cost carriers, excuse me. Especially now we have some consolidation coming up with JetBlue and Spirit. Right. But the, the, the key success point of Breeze and, and Avello, I see, is that in their airports, they, they sort of create their own pricing power and dominance. You know, New Haven for Avello is essentially Love Field for Southwest. And they, if they can control all the seats in that market, and fly to the air, to the airports um, where they have that market share. You know, a, a major airline is going to have that hub and spoke network. And I think what Breeze and Velo is showing that to the traveling public is like, you don't need to get on a regional jet and then connect in a hub. We'll fly you directly to where you want to go. Yeah, maybe it's some smaller planes, Breeze and Velo. But, you know, it's I, most people would rather fly directly than have to connect in a major hub and have to deal with you know, weather and, you know, running from gate to gate. And, uh, you know, it's exciting to see Breeze and Abello showing people, nope. And I think that's what the new model of a regional industry is. It's not going to necessarily be small jets like a CRJ or Embraer. It's going to be 100, 150, meh, 150 seats, probably a little high, but 100, 130 seat. And, you know, going more point to point. I mean, at one point you could fly Westchester to Los Angeles and it's not a massive catchment area like JFK would be but they can at least fill those planes and they have good performance to do it. So
2: mm-hmm. it's exciting to see. Have you seen uh, a Velo Breeze in any of your travels yet?
0: You know um, maybe I've heard them on frequency, but I've been flying a lot of hub to hub lately. Yeah. So um, it's been mostly, you know, the big three and only the big three that I've been seeing. But uh, yeah, my, my fleet doesn't really uh, do too much of the re- regional uh, routes that I used to do. So I kind of miss, kind of miss seeing, you know, every now and then I, I would even uh, send David text uh, about an old Miami air seven three somewhere in I love those Greensboro, North Carolina. Yeah. And I'd be, Oh, what's this guy doing here? You know
2: what I mean? So yeah, we'll make, we'll get that out in the open. We'll air that out real quick. Uh, I have an affinity for the carriers that, you know, people always ask the follow up question why, and sometimes I don't have an answer, but I think it has a lot to do with direct air. So real quick, the, premise of direct air was this airline it's called a virtual airline so they didn't have any staff other than the management and they would lease their aircraft and uh pay for like contracted ground handling at the airports they flew to so they based a uh, 737 in punta gorda and they would fly up to Worcester on like a tuesday It would fly to sanford from there go back and then go back to punta gorda so that was it was fun because you never knew what you were gonna get. So it was most it started out with a Virgin America A320, oddly enough. Even for young Dave, I was like, that's not gonna last. And surely enough, maybe four months, five months. That's how it became exposed to carriers like Miami Air, extra, extra airways. For a while there was Vision. Did you ever hear of Vision Airlines? I'm not sure I, I've heard of that. Yeah, it's oh it's a thing. It, it was a thing. And then uh, there was an airline called Sky King. Okay. They, that would fly. Yeah, it was fun. They, they would have these clapped out 737s because I flew on one. So uh, this is not allegedly. This is experience from Dave. I just remember thinking, I hope I don't die. So um, maybe that was me just being afraid to fly. But
0: um, I mean, I'm still getting my mind wrapped around Delta Song
2: and their lime green 757s. But so did they fly to Newark?
1: I forgot. They did. They did. That's they how I became exposed to that. Do you remember Delta Song? Oh yeah, I remember flying them from LaGuardia to uh, to. I want to say Disney world or Orlando and so stuff that's like what that. I, that's what I flew. And that, that was the airline for me. So like that
2: was the first, cause you know, you're going to have favorites, right? Like you had a favorite and you have a favorite. That was my favorite, even though uh, they flew to Boston. So I would just see them flying over at like, I don't know, 15K, 15 K, 15,000 from Boston back when, uh, you know, they just kind of vectored everybody out of Logan and uh, I actually flew on them. So I was excited to fly in them. My uncle, shout out, uncle Chris, um, You're listening, and I hope you are. I flew them from, what was it, Bradley to Orlando. And I knew they had the pink breast cancer livery, which I was obsessed with for some reason. And I had the model in my backpack. And guess what plane I flew on to Florida?
0: The pink uh, Delta Song
2: uh, breast cancer livery. Was it that obvious? <laughs> I think it's still actually in service today. Oh, actually, I did the research. It's not. It's, oh, it got that's... scrapped a couple of years ago. Oh, that's uh, I know, but most of them are still in service. In fact, uh, at the airport, um, I work at you know, the Yankees. The Knicks and the Rangers fly out, and they fly on all pretty much former Delta Song aircraft that are pimped out on the inside. Yeah.
0: I wonder if I have any of those in my logbook.
2: It, it would be pretty cool if you did. And then if you ever hypothetically did fly on one, just make sure you check out the Shack Lab. I don't know. Did you Do you know about the Shack Lab? No, I don't. I, Ready I, for I, this? It's like three windows. Everybody talks about a 220 having the window for the LAV. But all you got to do is be an NBA player and you have three windows. Because pretty much, if you think about it, before Delta, they pretty much took 11 aircraft out of the desert, right? Four years ago, maybe, let's call it. They said, we have a lot of sports contracts, but we're flying them on Airbus A319s, A320s. And they're reconfiguring them because they had a VIP configuration. They would... They said, like, let's say the airport, I okay, I'm just going to say it, at Westchester, um, they would fly. Hold on. Can we mark the time? Mark the time. It it's, took No, f- I have 15 time. minutes? Yeah, 15 <laughs> minutes and nine seconds. Okay. So they would fly, like, these teams to the West Coast, but they'd have to make a stop in, like, Milwaukee. And obviously, you're telling the NBA team, hey, we have to make a fuel stop. They don't like that. So they said with the seven fives. And it's not just Westchester. I worked at Hanscom up in Bedford, and we had similar contracts, and they were the seven fives. They could take that seven thousand foot runway and make it wherever they need to go because they're not flying out with the full payload. So they it was a really good decision. They have a dedicated charter fleet of eleven. I know that at the time I left Bedford, they were talking about seven sixes for the NFL. I don't know where that lies today. So now you can get from from Westchester to Portland, Westchester to uh, you know L. A. It's cool, and it uses half the runway. The 7.5, I I wanted to touch on this today, so I'm happy we're having this conversation, is a, uh, how do I say it? It's the best thing humans
1: have built today. (laughs) It is certainly a beast. And it's going to be interesting. There really isn't a replacement for it. I mean, from a seat perspective, you have the A321. But from a performance perspective, there's really even the Neos aren't going to quite do what the 7.5 can do especially for a lot of these smaller airports like Westchester where it's a short runway, people forget that the 7.5 actually has twice the braking power than an A320 with those extra set of wheels. So it can stop on a dime. Right, right. And it can stop on a dime, it can take off on a dime.
2: It's my favorite thing to watch. And it's funny, we have people that work, um, they're not quite as into aviation as ourselves, but they'll even stop what they're doing to watch a 7.5 coming in and out. Cause, uh, and you know what's crazy? I don't know if it was one of you two, uh, you told me that the Rolls Royce is more powered than the Pratt and Whitney. Absolutely, that blows my mind because I like I'm not kidding. I've seen 2,000 to 2,500 foot takeoff runs. Yeah. So what the Rolls Royce is going to be 1,500 like a it's like a Pilatus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's a good
1: good way of describing right. it.
2: Right. Yeah, and like that's a that's another cool aircraft. I mean, we'll, I'm sure we'll touch on every aircraft under the sun uh, at some point. Uh, I'm jealous. The 7.5 meant a lot for me growing up. And it's good. It's a good point, Pete, because um, I'm a big Boeing guy. Um, I'll get that out there as well. I'm a little disappointed that they've made the decisions in the past 15, 20 years where Airbus is just going to take the market share and run with it because there is no replacement.
1: I'm for not too sure about that. I, yeah. the, I, I think the 321neo market, especially the LR and the XLR, which for the you know as of today has not been certified yet the XLR. Yeah, there's certainly a lot of markets on the east coast where you you could totally see 321 service, but cargo plays a huge role in transatlantic revenue. And those 321s, you know, they may be slightly restrictive in as many seats, you know, coming westward in the uh, in the winter time, you might have some headwinds. So you may not be able to fill those seats, but You may not certainly be able to fill the belly with cargo, you know, Mm -hmm. so airlines make a lot of money doing uh, that cargo revenue. In fact, I was I remember I was flying back from Dublin and we were, you know, departure time came up and the captain said, hey, we're going to be delayed. We're going to add a couple extra pallets of cargo. It's it means that cost and delay means a lot, you know, or the, the cost and delay is an offset. By the the revenue that could be created uh, with 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 that cargo right so. and this was on a CRj 900 uh I, no unfortunately the CRJ is not not the uh, not the best cargo I think it was an a330 200 or 300 I well. got gotcha.
2: you I do have to say the CRJs are fun to watch because you know, obviously we get our fair share of them and they have their own dedicated ballast carts um, and it's a and you hear it on the radio. If you don't know what ballast is, it's just these like weights. It's like dumbbells almost. And Yeah, like... it's,
1: it's, or FAA sand is what we'll, we'll F- say. <laughs> it's yeah, it has to be weight. Out. It's a, usually a 50 pound bag as a, as a former CRJ driver. The, the 900s didn't really run into weight and balance problems, but the 200s did for sure. I
2: believe you told me in the past about your. You, can we say you flew Embraer one forty five? Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, it was any time we would have a jump seater up front. It was almost a default of not if we need ballast, but how much. Really?
2: Yeah. Oh, that's. I don't know why that's funny to me, but it's funny. I could. I could be the ballast. Just put me in. I mean, not in the. Put me somewhere strategically on the plane. I'll. <laughs> I'll spend my life being a ballast. I don't know. I don't think you want to ride in the cargo hold in the back. I well, know. Mm, I know. We could shift something. Gets, Maybe kind of
0: loud back there. Let's
2: see. We'll take whoever booked like the basic fare where yeah. they don't even get their money refunded, put them in the cargo, bay, and I'll take their seat. That sounds like a Ryanair strategy if yeah. I've ever heard one. I, and by the way, I've flown them. I, I was on my list of things to do. And so I had a class in Madrid a couple months ago. I have to say, Ryanair was everything I hoped it would be uh, in good and bad ways. So part of that is, and I was talking with, about that earlier is i steal safety cards so come come get me i'm listening to the carriers those anybody listening come find me i got safety cards they don't have safety cards they they plaster them on the back of the seats they have to cater to me uh you know i'm a paying customer 15, you know, all 15 bucks
0: i'm surprised you didn't try to take your uh plastic butter knife and try to peel it off the seat there like uh, a true it, degenerate
2: it crossed my mind yeah but it, i would have had to pay five bucks for the 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 knife Yeah. I, the flight attendant was like uh you, that's not free. Okay. You, nothing's free. And then I was like where's the bathroom? And then she's like to answer that you can Venmo me 10 bucks. So um allegedly. But no, it's uh interesting because so many of these American airlines are attempting to replicate what Ryanair's done to an extreme and like we just talked about the Sky. Okay, we'll not get back into that, but even hairs like uh JetBlue and uh let's say Sun Country, they're starting to changed the ways in the past five, 10 years, you know, they're not what they used to be in terms of they're moving towards that model. So in my opinion, I don't know what you think, but that could be the dumbest thing you've heard all day. No.
1: Yeah, no, I, 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 I mean, every airline has to evolve and, and, you know, I think part of evolving is kind of changing your strategy and growing as your customer base grows. So.
2: Yeah. And that's what makes it interesting for carriers. Like I'm a big Southwest guy. Um, I, I don't shut up about it. At the same time, you know, you have to be able to react to changes in the marketplace. Um, that goes for anything. Even, like, personally, you have to be able to react to different changes in your life. I, I look at Southwest and I say, like, how long can they they do the free bags, you know? Uh, how long can they uh, keep, like, their roots? Because, you know, if you feel like at some point we're moving in a direction where nobody's going to have free bags anymore. There was a day when every airline had the first free check bag that day is long gone.
1: Yeah, I I think Southwest will it'd be a sad day when they finally give it up, but I don't think they have to. And you know, people forget Southwest is the fourth largest airline in this country. Yeah, which is crazy. And yeah. they have over 800 aircraft. They're it's a big airline, so I think, you know, the revenue they make and you know, every airline has to make themselves just slightly different than the rest. And what people look for is price. All right, that's the number one, you know, reason why you're deciding on a flight. And there's so many different product offerings in the airline industry. So I'm, I'm not worried that Southwest will eventually drop the bag, the free bags. In some ways, it's interesting. I, I, was, uh, I was on Spirit not too long ago. The overhead bins weren't full. You know, you have to charge to put on a bag. And I was chatting with one of the pilots. And at LaGuardia, it's a smaller runway. And I was, you know, interesting to see that some flights actually get payload optimized out in LaGuardia on a hot day. And what that means is they have too much fuel or too much cargo. And so they can't take certain, you know, they can't fill the whole aircraft with passengers. They have to block some seats for weight and balance and takeoff performance. And it was interesting that the pilot was telling me that they don't really ever run into that issue compared to some airlines because they don't get a lot of bags. I mean, when you start charging someone for a bag. Some people be like, no, I don't need it. I'll just pack for a weekend or, you know, but it was interesting boarding that aircraft. It was a A321. I think it holds over 200 seats in their configuration. It boarded super quick, you know, compared to some major airlines where, you know, you're bringing on a check bag and stuff. People who don't want to pay for bag fees, it creates so much delay at the gate. And uh, it was just interesting to see the the dynamic. I mean, uh, thankfully, I didn't have to I didn't have to pay for my carry on. And uh, there was no issue finding bin space. I mean, the plane, even though passenger-wise was full, bins were very light. And I can assure you the cargo hold was very light. And we took off really quick.
2: (laughs) Yeah, you think airlines like that? Did you have something similar uh, when you worked at the unnamed regional airline?
0: Uh, so our overhead bins were actually too small to fit uh, normal really size carriers, uh, carry ons. Um, so that uh, always delayed the boarding process because uh, somehow people would get all the way uh, to the airplane door on the jet bridge. And the flight attendant would have to kindly advise them that their bag was too big and it would need to go uh, underneath the plane. So, with us, that was always a fun time sitting in the cockpit, you know, with the door being right there. We would always hear all the interesting conversations uh, taking place and um, all the excuses the passenger would provide. Yeah. So. Most namely, oh, well, it fit on the last plane. Yeah. Uh, don't
1: forget that they have a very tight connection that. Rochester New York at midnight you hear that one quite often but yeah
2: no it's funny how you just have so many people that think that we're idiots and I'll just stop it there because you know I would that was actually my literal next question was what was because you must hear some interesting conversations when people get onto an Embraer 145 and they don't realize how thin that cabin is so I'm sure you must have heard like uh, our friend John he told me that it's funny because like you would hear like once aborting like where's the rest of the plane
0: yeah, that would be that would be one of them. The other thing I would constantly hear is people banging their head on the top of the door as they walk in just right. because they would Underestimate the size of the airplane. What would you
2: say the height is that you need to be to get underneath? Well, let's see. I'm like,
0: exactly six feet, and I would say I would probably have to crouch a little bit. So I would say 5'11. Five, 10, five, five, 10. So anybody
2: who's five ten listening, you've seen Embraer one hundred and forty five, you have nothing to worry about. Yeah, don't don't worry about it at <laughs> that's all.
0: That's good
1: consumer
2: advice. Consumer see, advice. Yeah, absolutely.
0: But yeah, they would they would uh nickname. I've heard nicknames of the one hundred and forty five, most namely the Barbie Jet, the Barbie Jet. Yep. Just because
1: the Jungle Jet. Yeah, there's the Jungle, the jungle jet, jet too. Yep. Yeah, yeah.
0: So um, no matter what you want to call it, it was always an interesting experience. It was never going to be a scot-free, smooth,
2: hey, everybody's on board, ready to go. It was always, All right. yeah. And that must play into your people skills, especially, uh, I mean, the CRJ900 is a little more spacious, but it's not the most spacious. So I don't know if you have anything similar. But also, too, I, doesn't the crj nine have more room between, like, there's more of a buffer between, uh, I guess, yourself and the passengers?
1: I mean, the cockpit is, I mean, right at the main cabin door. What the CRJ, the 900 does, it has a forward lav with the galley. So there's, you know, when you're deplaning and boarding, there's, you know, the cockpit and then you got some room of the galley and the forward lav. And then, yeah, first class probably starts a good six, seven feet away from the cockpit. Did you get first class?
0: Uh, No, we were a single class. We did not even have um, anything other than standard economy seats. Right.
2: I'm going to put an airline on blast here and I'm not going to name the airline. Uh, an airline until recently flew all 50 seat single class to Westchester to Chicago for years. You know how many first class tickets you're missing out on on that route? I mean, there's probably people that are better at network planning than myself, but I, that used to drive me crazy. That did change recently uh, in an unfortunate way, but you know, we've always felt for years that there's a certain market where that first class seat Works and then that single class market. Like, what where were some cities that you commonly flew to?
0: Uh, for me, I would say yeah, there's a lot of Canada. Believe it or not. Oh
1: yeah, certainly.
0: Yeah, Quebec City, Montreal, Montreal. Toronto. Yeah, oh, yeah. Definitely a lot of Canadian cities. I probably I saw want more of Canada. Yeah, I yeah. mean, my, my passport wouldn't look that cool because not they, a lot of places. Yeah, they
1: don't, I go, stamp, don't anymore, stamp anymore, which I kind of miss. I yeah. mean, uh, yeah, I have very few stamps.
2: The first time, that was a, that was enlightening for me uh, until about this time last year. I'd never been out of the country. I went to Canada. They are like, yeah, you're all set. You can go. And I said, well, you're not going to stamp it. And they said, no, go. They probably get that question like hourly,
0: if yeah. not more. Well maybe they got tired of paying
1: for the stamp bank too, you know. Yeah, it
2: probably saves them money on the retrospective. I mean when I Yeah, every- but when you
1: look at those kiosks that you're scanning your passport, those don't look cheap. <laughs> yeah,
2: no, you're not kidding. And there's a lot of them now. I don't know when the last time you guys flew to Toronto was, but Oh
1: gosh, at one
0: point I was going to Toronto every week. Oh really? Yeah. Oh yeah. Hey Pete, do you have global entry? I was about I to. Do. Say- yeah, me
1: too. Does yeah, that- that's a lifesaver.
2: Oh, so you guys can use that as uh, crew members.
1: Absolutely. Oh, oh, 100%. I mean, there is a crew line. There are times if you don't if the you know, you land during kind of the the high peak slots where the crew lines even ridiculously long and yeah, you can absolutely use the global entry line. That's cool to me
2: cuz I always preach it because especially to my family and uh, you guys are all listening. Just assume that unless I'm the least favorite in the family. But you guys, I have preached, and I won't shut up about it, where Global Entry will get you pre-check. But even if you fly in the five years, maybe once or twice internationally, it pays its, its worth. Because especially for me, when I came back from Madrid, I was on, an, uh, not to flex, but to flex, I was on an E380. To give you an idea what kind of person I am, I flew from Madrid to London to Dulles to Long Island. Uh, and there's an Uber ride between uh, Dulles and BWI Incorporated in there. Uh, and Nick is laughing because, you know, everybody thinks there's something wrong with me. you didn't, point with I didn't that, say it. You didn't say it, I said it. Uh, I did it for you. Regardless, I got off the plane and there's, what, 400 people right there that you have to wait in line with. And it depends on how many people have global entry. And then after that, you know, most of these flights are lined up with other international flights. So it can go from zero people. We were the first plane. And then by the time I left, there was a Qatar A350 that was uh
1: over 200 right uh, there. And then, to uh, it three.
2: Yeah, and then I believe El Al had landed right after that. It was some something out there. So it's a lot of people. And uh, especially when you look at what COVID had when those customs hauls, how disgusting that was. You know, you don't want to put yourself in that position. So. Get global entry promo code QNOL um and you get twenty percent off. There's no promo code anyway. No, but
1: some credit card companies uh oh do they will offer, yeah.
2: Tell me how good of a brother I am. I just bought it for my brother and my sister and my new in-law, what's up Sarah, for their wedding gift. And wow. Of course they weren't able to use it for their Aruba trip, but now you know, wherever they go next, at least.
0: Aruba
1: sounds nice.
2: Yeah. But do you, neither of you guys have clear, right?
1: Uh, no, no. One of the awesome benefits of being an airline pilot is uh, we have our own dedicated security lane.
2: Yeah. Good point. There's no point. That was a dumb question. Listen to Dave. There are I, no dumb questions. Just Only kidding. dumb
1: times to ask. Only questions. dumb
2: times that. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Cause uh, people always ask me about it and uh, not to say anything, you know, I'm not saying bad, but you know, pre-check's worth it. I don't think you'd do anything more than that. Cause Clears not open all day, so when people show up and Clear's not open, they're like, "What do you mean it's not open?" And I'm like, "Well, they're open till 1 p.m. It's not our decision; that's a Clear decision. So, it's a tough pill for people to swallow, and it reflects poorly on airport leadership. So, I don't think it's my point. More is it's not worth the extra investment. You know, get global entry and call it a day. You're both flight instructors. That's something that uh, stood out to me. You you're a flight instructor for a little bit, right? Yeah, so I meant to, to check with you before we started recording just to make sure I didn't mess that up. No,
0: we can, we can,
2: we can check now. Well, I was going to say, yeah, we'll check verified. I was going to say what, what were some takeaways? Like, what do you feel it helped you? Cause I know a lot of people when they're looking to fly, they say like, I don't know if I want to be a CFI. You both seem to be thankful that you did it, right?
1: Oh, yeah. 100%. No regrets being instructor. It, it's a terrific experience. I will say that if you're looking at becoming a pilot or a airline pilot, corporate, or you're building experience, you don't have to go the CFI route. And some people, you know, the flying is not particularly hard. It's just the ability to teach right. and getting your teaching vernacular down and your lesson plans and stuff. And not everyone, you know, they may be an excellent pilot, but the teaching component, not everyone can teach. Sometimes, you know, some people, they're not... Um, I'm, trying, I'm trying to say this. If they're not, uh, you know, the teaching personality or something, you know, don't feel like you're forced to become a CFI to build hours or something. There's there's plenty of other paths out there. But the greatest part about teaching is, you know, it's. A, I feel like it's a very rewarding experience when you get someone to solo, and the point where they can land a plane by themselves. It's just, I feel like a happy moment, and uh, you know, it's it's a it's a big accomplishment for the student. But you learn a lot about yourself when you teach and, you know, how well you're working with people. I mean, it, teaching is a customer service industry uh, in my opinion, being a CFI. I agree. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, so just
0: the mentorship opportunities too, as a flight instructor. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I, my path was interesting. I, I started out as a flight instructor and then found my way into being an aerial survey pilot just cause I liked the idea of being able to, you know, fly a 172 all around the U S and Canada one thing that aerial surveying didn't provide me that's being a flight instructor did was just the opportunity to just kind of mentor people. And, you know, I've, I feel like there's a lot of experiences that I've had in my life as far as being a student pilot and beyond where, you know, I like being able to share those aspects of my career.
2: Right. Yeah. It's awesome. Cause, and I encourage it. Cause some people say I'm not the, like Pete said, like they feel they're not the teaching type and that's true. You know, It's something that you learn though. Cause I think it, it helps you develop as a person. And as a, I mean, this is coming from somebody that has a half an hour of flying under his belt. Thank you, Pete, for signing off on that. You're welcome. Uh, that my stick time was, it was in a serious and I was told uh, I'm a natural. Nice. And I don't think he's serious though. Yeah. But, we're going to have to pull the tapes on that one. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> In general, I always say like, uh, you know, step out of that comfort zone. You'd be surprised what it can do for you down the road. both very successful. And then aerial surveying, I have to say, that's an interesting topic because I, I don't know where the hub for aerial surveying is, but I feel like I know more people in the Northeast than...
0: Yeah. Know. I mean, I, I can't really say that there is a hub because right. if you talk to any aerial survey pilot, there's there's no aerial survey pilot that's really... Based in one location, with the exception of a few, you know, smaller companies. But um, most aerial survey pilots, they
2: their home is the sky, right? Quite literally. Oh, how that, that's a good talking point because how much were you home when you were an aerial surveyor?
0: Well, let's I feel see. Like I didn't see you. Yeah, I mean, my family didn't see me. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, my my then girlfriend now wife didn't see me a lot. Right. But uh, you know, I, I would I would say there was a fourteen month stretch where I was probably home for a total of two weeks in that fourteen months. Wow. Yeah.
2: That's great. And I don't know what Purdue was like. Can I say Purdue?
1: Yes, yeah, that's, that's fine. <laughs> I said
2: too too late. I made that decision for you. So obviously, we can talk about Dowling. The school that no longer exists. So, I mean, who's rest, in... Rest in peace. Rest in peace. Uh, who's going to come after me, right? Uh, I'd be surprised. You know, we had very different... Um, you know, when I started, our fleet of warriors was getting sold off, right? That should have been a red flag. I don't know. What aircraft did you fly... When you were at that one, so I, I was doing mostly
0: flight team work. Right. Um, I just had a private pilot certificate at the time, um, still saving up for the rest of my training. So I was mostly flying the good old one fifty twos and and laying uh, lines of uh, flour across the runway, trying to do spot landing practice.
2: Right, right, and that was fun to watch. Honestly, like I wasn't on the flight team, but that was fun to watch. I don't know. Did you have something somewhere at Purdue?
1: Uh, Purdue did have a flight team. I, I was not on it, but right. uh, I remember you know, before they would do their competitions, they would paint the wheels in like that, like test pattern. Oh yeah. Test dummy. Really? Oh yeah. yeah. Cause that's when they did those accuracy landings. That's how, you know, they had the camera and stuff. They could see exactly where the wheel touched down so and stuff cool. like that. It was really so cool. cool.
2: So you weren't, but you still did a lot with Purdue. I and mean, did you fly the Phenom? Did we talk I about I did. That?
1: Yeah. Purdue had so a, cool. a Phenom 100 um, had. when I was there. Yeah. they sold it uh, just recently within the last year or two
2: that's still cool that's uh and what was the fleet otherwise
1: um the primary trainers at when i was there was the cirrus sr20 and then we had for commercial we had the piper arrow and then for multi was the piper seminal my senior year they switched over to the piper archer for the for the training fleet. Those Cirruses were getting about 10, almost 12 years old at that point. So it was time to to cycle out. Right,
2: right. Not to compare Purdue to Dowling because they are very comparable if you look at it, right?
1: I hope you can sense sarcasm there. Yeah,
2: so I have a very unique sense of humor. So was it uh, an Arrow we had? Yeah,
0: you yeah. know, the Arrow and the Warriors and kind of a a, a roving fleet. But, uh, right. but yeah, it wasn't, wasn't it, quite a phenom level. It wasn't a phenomenal. Yeah.
2: If we did see a jet at Brookhaven, by the way, and we did once a year maybe, yeah. it was talked about for weeks.
0: Yeah, I could very distinctly remember a Falcon 50 landing at Brookhaven. Oh, and man. it was a big deal.
2: Right, right. So, to give you an idea, we had an Arrow. And uh, I did not fly at all, but I played on the baseball team, which has a campus next to the airport. And I would see this arrow. It never stopped flying. And I would know that because the nose gear would only halfway go into the well. I don't know. What can you tell me about that? Because I still to this day don't know what happened
0: there. You know, I never even had a chance to fly the Dowling Arrow, but I think the tail number is 183 Delta Charlie. Oh, I see where be that's at. Totally today. wrong. We're pulling it You up know what's funny Toyota is right
2: uh, one of them I actually ran into in Bedford when I was a line guy, and uh, it was painted like Dowling, and they had, instead of the company, I'm not going to say the company, but they had their logo over where the Dowling used to be. Did you ever consider, Pete, any local schools when you were.
1: Yeah, I actually got a. a When I was applying and stuff, I I sort of had three different uh, career ideas. Um, Purdue was I wanted to go to the aviation school. um, But I also applied to Syracuse because at one point in my life, I thought I wanted to go into TV broadcasting and journalism. Our school, (laughs) well, you're too kind. Our school, uh, where I went to high school, we had a TV program and uh, we had our own TV station. And it was sort of like the news for the town. And I got into that, I, I started as the, the the weatherman, although don't give me too much credit for that. They just, since I was learning to fly at the time, they're like, "Ah, oh, you probably should know a little thing about weather. So I, I applied there, and then uh, I also applied to um, Vanderbilt. Um, I thought maybe I wanted to be a doctor, so I was thinking about going to med school down there. I worked on an ambulance starting when I was, uh, I was, oh gosh, 16 or 17, uh, I worked on an ambulance and uh, thought I, you know, might want to go down the medical path. But At the end of the day, I thought planes were the coolest, and right. you know, I was rejected from one school and accepted to the other two, and so it kind of made the the choice for me. <laughs> right. And
2: Nick, you just kind of know how we know each other. Can I tell the story? Yes. I'll, I'll, Dave
1: and I met at a very interesting. Uh, uh, so situation. me and Pete go
2: back. So at Westchester, uh, part of the first aid is my position. Uh, I mean, the initial first aid, and I'm trained in, in everything. And a call came in from tower now. I will say that um, it's like the game of telephone, how the information comes in is never what's going on. So I was told that there's a Sears coming in with a hypoxic passenger. So I was like, okay, well, let's see what we got here. And I showed up and I was thinking that there was a hypoxic passenger. It was very early in my days and I did not know what to uh, expect. And I show up and I have the bag and people tell you I
1: fumble. What did I fumble? the uh the BVM the bag valve mask which yeah. is used to to resuscitate a passenger what what ended up happening was you know we had one of my I was flying with some friends that night and uh, one of them got pretty uh pretty airsick and uh just you know, it was very uncomfortable in the plane. So I ended up turning back to Westchester. And as, as Dave said, the game of telephone, it, it turns into a, a hypoxic, unresponsive passenger. And so we get on the ground and uh, there's an ambulance and, and, you know, to all credit, I'd rather have the resources there and not have to use them than need them and not have them. 100%. And uh, so I met Dave and, you know, when when we got to, when we taxied into the to the parking area, my passenger was starting to kind of come to and feeling better. And I think just being down on tariff firma helped them out and there's dave holding the the bag valve mask and
2: uh i dropped that thing like the butt
1: fumble (laughs) It was it was was, I was like, yeah, let me show you how to use this correctly if you ever have to do it. Yeah. And
2: you show me and I haven't had to use it since. And I mean, the only thing I like the most I've done in my time is like put a splint. You know how many flight attendants close their hands on the doors? Oh, God. Yeah. And it's usually towards the end of the day. So I've had to do that a few times. Um, But other than that, I thankfully have only had the bag mask, uh, which uh, will forever I'll look at and think of because it wasn't like I said, it was just embarrassing. I'm thinking, here's this guy, and this is the first date, and he's got a guy that can't hold on to the mask. Uh, well, it
1: sparked a, what, now, four or five-year yeah, friendship? Exactly, uh, yeah, man. so, uh, no, and they we were see. they were great.
2: And, uh, you know, business-inclined people, all three of us. So, um, you know, that's why I felt like this would be a good duo. I think I put you guys in touch in the past. I didn't realize that until the group text this morning. Yeah. B- vaguely point. vaguely i don't know i, I time just flies by man yeah. yeah i don't yeah. know about you guys how cool is i think aviation is so cool where like you meet people from all over the world
1: 100 so percent, and it's it, it's you know despite being a massive industry you know aviation accounts for like one or two percent of the u.s gdp everyone knows everyone it seems like right. or, or you're one or two connections off yeah uh, it's scary it's, how it's, that works. it's it's small yeah yeah
2: I don't know. Uh, It's funny to think because Nick came from a community college. I might not have ever known Nick, um, especially if our school ended up closing earlier than uh, they ended up closing. So uh, we, me and Nick both made it out in time. I graduated in 15. Where were you 15? I was 14, 14, 14. And that closed in 16. It was a mess for people. And I unfortunately know a lot of people that were into aviation and they're no longer in aviation. So it is an unfortunate circumstance. You know, it, we're thankful for our time, and where we come now. Pete, you were in the the program where you only need a thousand hours, right, to become a to become
1: correct. Officer. I was what's called a restricted kid, so right. we only needed a thousand hours of flight time. The restriction only allows you to be a first officer, though. So I. I, in order to upgrade to a captain, I would have to have the restriction removed, i.e. getting the full 1,500 hours and being 23. And we didn't have that, right? Uh, we did not have that. I don't – the restricted though, I don't think – it kind of came out recently. I want to say it only came out in 14 or 15 when they switched. Yeah, it, uh, it was, it was just
0: turning over. Yeah. I didn't think either way. We I would, don't think we would have had it either it. Yeah. way. Yeah. but
1: yeah.
2: Uh, No, it's really fascinating. Now, like your friends, I'm assuming, have gone on to do similar things. What are their names, their social security numbers, and their last names for their employers currently? <laughs> what what are your friends that have the same like? It works out where everybody gets hired right at a thousand, or oh, some people have problems. Well, or...
1: my class was probably a little unique because we graduated right at the start of the COVID nineteen oh, pandemic. Right. You know, thankfully, and I'll say this to anyone going in aviation: have some idea of a backup or a hobby job or something, because it it's a wonderful industry. The highs are very high, but the lows are very low. You know, I was I was hired. Uh, I got my job offer. My and I don't know, fall of two thousand nineteen, I was supposed to go to class, June of twenty. And then in March we were told to not come back to campus. We're shutting down for, you know, where it was the whole two weeks to flatten the curve and we were sent back. I, I graduated college in my living room on Zoom because that sucks. You know, it was uh that was what you had to do at the time. Thankfully I was I was lucky to be able to keep flying afterwards. And it was only about a nine month delay. I was I guess rehired would be the the best way to describe it. Rehired in April of 21 before going off to to my regional airline.
2: Right, that's cool. That's cool, it's man. Safe to say it's Worked. But anyone's ever, yeah, yeah, it worked yeah, out. Say.
1: No. And now it, aviation came back with a, a roaring, uh, I think they used the term revenge travel. Did
2: anybody in this room think that it was going to take the five to 10 years that these analysts were predicting? Cause I thought, yes. it was, did you? I did. Okay. I no, truly it's did. fine. I don't, I didn't mean to say that. Like that was like, you're an idiot. <laughs> no, but... I truly did. Okay. Cause I was curious. Cause like, I don't know, I think like a person that's, and by the way, it took us 47 minutes or so to talk about the pandemic. Uh so you know we made it a lot further I think than uh, we thought we would make it but I uh, I don't know I I thought as soon as people were allowed to fly again that there would be a boom and that's kind of what happened I mean I think it was a mix of both
1: Yeah and that you know humans are social people we want to be together I think the pandemic changed travel Right but uh you know the best thing I think for young pilots entering during the covid time I mean luckily all my friends from my graduating class were all employed and well up the seniority list at this point. There's the whole 65 age retirement rule. And just because there's a pandemic doesn't prevent people from turning 65. So, you know, in the next half decade to a decade, there's going to be so many retirements. So all COVID really did was buy people time. So while I wasn't expecting to come back to an airline as as quick as, as quickly as, as I thought, um, or was expected, you know, I knew it wasn't going to take, five or 10 years, but it, I was thinking more two or three, just because they're going to have to hire, you know, it takes four months to really have a new hire pilot spooled up at an airline. And if you're losing five to 800 a year, you, you got some work to do. And, um, and the nice thing is with the pilots that are, you know, closer to retirement 65, those are an airline's most expensive employees. So in some ways, the airlines are a little bit incentivized to, to start hiring newer and I'm using this, you know, in context, cheaper employees. So it, you know, there's some labor savings done when they're, you know, retiring their older pilots near term. And that's why a lot of airlines offered that early out retirement.
2: I didn't even think of that. That's a good segue as well, because Nick, I think your COVID experience was, I can't, I'm not going to say who you used to fly for, but I can say that. Well, they don't exist anymore. They don't exist anymore. So Nick goes to a college and it closes and then his first regional airline yeah. Uh, folds as a result. I think they were, were they the first one to fold out of the pandemic? Or? You
0: know, so that's debatable because there was another similar Embraer trans- 145 carrier yeah. trans states that had uh, folded just a Water few ski. months before. So depending on who you ask, you could say maybe that was COVID or not COVID related, but right. that's a totally different story for a different, different day. Um, but yeah, I mean, for me, it was just listening to all of the old cadre that was at my current, or the former regional, I should say, you know, a lot of those guys and gals that I flew with had gone through, you know, the nine eleven and 2008 recession and they were all telling me, yeah, it's going to take five to 10 years to come back. And, oh, makes sense. You know, I kind of had to fall on their experience to say, oh, maybe this is the way it's going to be. And then, you know, sure enough, 2021 rolls around and oh, my God, hiring is, is ridiculous. So, right. you know, it just kind of taught me a lesson that I really... You know, no matter what people project and what people say, like nobody truly has an idea of where the industry is going to go. You can only kind of just strap down and hang on.
2: That's so true. That's so true. And it worked out for the best for you. I know I've said that several times, but yeah. you've flown some pretty cool planes, You both of you. I Again, the most I can approximate is on the flight sim, which I'm currently on right now, and I'll update you guys all. When I land, uh, how it was. Um, I'm
1: holding my breath. Hold your breath.
2: But in, in general, I, I, the pandemic is something that I think we're going to be talking about for years. Unfortunately, yeah. And, uh, I had a point by my ADHD. Let me look at this. Oh, that's what I was going to think about. So it's funny. That what part of the pandemic and the staffing crisis is uh, how airlines emerge and and you know you're looking at a lot of cities are losing service right now based on staffing. So for example, uh, you know, American airlines, when we were at Dowling had, I mean, I think it was us airways for a little bit, even, uh, had a flight to Iceland. It did well for years. And, you know, you look at the load factors and stuff, but they just ran out of crews and they, they can, they have to use that crew on a flight that they're going to make more money on. So how do you think in the next five to 10 years, you know, that impacts, I mean, you guys are both onto bigger carriers at the, at the moment, but. You know, that's going to change not just like career paths, but that's going to change communities.
1: It, it is. But I, you know, I think there's so many opportunities. I just think that the airline industry has to stop looking what they did in the past and they need to look at the future. Um, you know, a lot of these regional jets are, are limited to 70 to 76 seats. And that is usually a function of the pilots' unions negotiating what's called a scope
2: clause. Yeah, I was going to say, is that a scope clause then?
1: Yeah, and the scope clause um, basically says how much flying can be outsourced. And they're pretty extensive agreements. They get very um, technical with air- aircraft weights and how many seats and stuff. You know, recently, and, you know, it's it's nice that, to have this, you know, a lot of the regionals have upgraded their salaries. Most new hire FOs are, are making pretty much six figures if not more at just starting out so when you divide that salary by those 70 76 seats the the margins are tight if not you know it's probably operated at a loss well with the scope clause if that were to go away and all the flying were to be done in house by the major carrier an airline could theoretically operate with as many seats as they want there'd be no restrictions on that there's a Embraer I know has a new regional jet, the 175 E2, the second generation I want to of see it. those
2: in America so bad. Well,
1: they've had to postpone it because the U.S. market in itself is very big on, you know, regional connectivity. And a lot of the regionals are, are bound by a scope clause with their major parents or their parent company, I should say. So, you know, you take that new uh, fuel efficient jet. No one can buy it because no airline can operate it with the current agreements with their pilots. So if all that flying was done in house, you could buy whatever jet you want and you can operate the most efficient, it drives the market to, in- to efficiency. These CRJs and these E-145s are getting old. The CRJ, they stopped production a couple years ago, so it's starting to become a dated product. You're going to start to see more maintenance being involved to maintain an aging aircraft. And so I just don't think the p- past regional product is going to be sustainable in the future. I think also in the United States, some clever marketing in the early 90s and early 2000s about switching to jets and avoiding turboprops, I think also kind of hurt the industry a little bit. Absolutely. If you go to Europe, there's, you know, this... There's no fear of propellers. I think in the United States there's almost this public perception that you see a propeller it's unsafe. And you don't for, like Q400s? I love Q400s. That jet flies fast. It's got great takeoff performance. Um now with all the acoustic sound engineering, you know propellers aren't quiet. Or, or excuse, are more quiet than they were.
0: Yeah. And, and you don't even have to go to Europe. You, can you just
2: go to Canada.
1: Yeah. East, I see border border. Absolutely. Yeah.
2: Didn't you have aerial serving out of the Billy Bishop or something?
0: You know, I took a GA plane there but that was just that was was that, okay, was right. that was for fun. That wasn't air. But yeah, you don't even have to go to Europe. Just go to Canada. Even uh, Air Canada Jazz. Yeah. And goes. in the so, Caribbean
1: too. I mean, you, yeah. you're taking a vacation in these islands. You're, you're getting there on a turboprop. You know, turboprops are really good at about twenty-five thousand feet. That's kind of their cruising efficiency. They burn significantly less fuel. You know, there was there was days I'd be flying Detroit Lansing. It's fifty-six miles. Yeah. yeah. On, yeah. A, on a jet, and we're just burning way too much fuel for that. And while the it, you know a, a market exists if someone's willing to pay a price to do that and it sells regional feed, but the time savings from a jet to a turboprop minimal. I mean these turboprops can fly close to 250 knots, and you know on a flight that short a jet's only going to 7,000 feet. So i I'd, I'd like to see turboprops uh, kind of make a resurgence, and I think that's where you can get the regional connectivity. Um, I think there'll be some EV tolls coming soon. Oh, yeah. I, 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 I a, don't a, deny that that's going to be... needs its own
2: podcast because I can tell you right now, it's coming. It's coming
1: hot. Yeah. Um. The question will be certification and what type yeah. of pilot experience is yeah. needed. and And, and, it, and yeah. it's coming. I bet it. And hydrogen, I mean, hydrogen power plants will you know, offset, make, make, uh, some of these shorter routes a little bit more economical. Yeah. For me, it's just, how are we going to integrate EP tolls in the national airspace system?
2: Right.
0: Um, you know, you have an airline that wants to have air taxis go from downtown Manhattan to the big three airports and right. I'm saying, how the heck are we going to fit? The- how Holy you control
2: thing. that? Yeah. It's a, it's a definitely, I can tell you now it's uh, a lot of the behind the scenes for airport management is dealing with the preparation because there's so many unknowns right now. There's different, I don't know if you guys have looked into like weather out there, I only looked into it as part of a recent, like we had a we had a college kind of come and we talked about environmental sustainability and stuff moving forward. In Westchester, we specifically had a company come and show their Evtol. You know, I think about it, New York City is gonna be one of the first places to see it cause you're gonna have people go to Manhattan from any airport in the in the big three. So it's gonna come down to that. I know there's a major airline it's gonna stay unnamed that um, is planning on flying people out of Chicago and San Fran to hubs in, in the in the cities that they have hubs in already. So you'll be able to book a ticket from let's say White Plains to let's say San Francisco and then you'll connect onto an EVTOL that'll take you wherever you want to go. So yeah, and
1: it's certainly exciting to see. I, I think uh I don't think they'll be autonomous right off the right. way I yeah. think we're some ways away with that. Uh no I think they'll be piloted initially. And then uh, they'll they'll kind of evolve the technology from there. But I think the FAA and and the next gen air traffic control system is going to need big reboot. Well, um, you
2: you want food for thought. And um, this is something that was brought up at a conference I went to not long ago. Is think about airport infrastructure. How much energy is going to be expounded on recharging these aircraft for these quick turns? And it's not anywhere near the capability that any airport has. And so they're urging airport managers to think about that because let's say with like a parking garage and all that, like you already have electricity
1: demand. No, know? I didn't even think about that. That's yeah. And point. then also
2: too, for aircraft firefighters, what's the number one concern these days is the lithium ion batteries. What is an Evtol? It's a big battery. You know, those are things that I'm sure all have to be addressed and it's gonna be part of the certification process. But you know, it's interesting. Um, I. So not to spoil anything, but I do have a chip on a Q four hundred. coming. So I'll, I'll be checked out on the Q four hundred in a couple months. I wanted to get on an E two, and I was like, I might as well get on a four hundred. Anyways, there's an airline coming out. Do you know Connect? I don't know if I've heard of Connect. Connect, no? Did you ever hear? I,
1: I did hear. I know they're uh, they're starting up with Q 400s Yep,
2: and the uh, ATR is a two. I think are, are in the plans Maybe. the hydrogen powered ones. Oh yeah, so the um, uh,
1: the Evo, I think they call yep. it. Yeah. Oh, okay. And
2: did you know that there's a. Hydrogen-powered ATR coming out? I might have seen it briefly somewhere. Briefly? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no. It's cool to see, but uh, you know, I talked to the founders because the, the company is based out of Bedford where I worked, and uh, they have a couple of challengers or they manage already in the past, which is why they're in Hanscom. But now they're getting into the 121 work, and uh, the certification process is just taking a long time, which is why they're not up in the area. And it's something I didn't think about is what you just talked about, Pete, is the prop flying went away years ago, and that was a big mistake because uh, you know it's a, it's more economical in a lot of ways. So he he said, for example, on a proving run that they did, or um, they were just flying. They have a couple Q400s already delivered. They did Boston to Philly, and they took off at the same time as an A319. They actually beat A319 in because they could make it into that crosswind runway.
1: And what's also what people you know when you hear of air traffic control congestions, air, airspace is kind of fragmented in the United States. There's a lot of aircraft that are. You know, usually small prop planes, like general aviation piston. That's usually ten thousand feet below. Most airliners cruise anywhere from thirty to forty thousand feet. So, what happens in the twenties? Right. Not a lot. That's actually a pretty wide area for operators to to uh, to utilize. In fact, as a as a fun fact, you know, when we would fly into like busy congested airspaces in New York, if there were delays, you know, the air. Air uh, air traffic is saturated above thirty thousand feet. We'll actually take on extra fuel and escape at like ten thousand feet because you're out of center airspace. Been there. Yep. That, yeah. T- going down the coast at seven thousand feet, it's a little there. eerie. Um, but that mid that like eighteen 000 to twenty nine thousand feet range, there's really no one there. Um, there's there's some maybe some corporate aircraft or some small small regional flights that are in there or short routes. Um, so they don't actually get a lot of delays and they can maybe get some better routing and stuff. So it doesn't surprise me that it beat it. It's, it's, it's encouraging to see. And and a Q400 is, is a relatively fast turbo prop. So Absolutely. That, the, the time on a flight that's an hour less, it's meaningless. On it does a jet. good
2: work for the airlines that fly them. I don't know. Well, does an airline ever say they don't like their planes? But like the CRJ200 every now and then you see it and it's flying a route and you're just thinking... And not to go back to it, but it's why, why they're flying this aircraft on that route. The Q400 allowed a lot of those other routes to to work, you know. So especially with like the environmental movement moving forward, um, we could see it back for these major carriers in, in the regional ranks. I think
1: they're going to have to. Right. There's there's no real new next generation light jet for airline really being developed. I mean, you could argue the E192, but that's a little too big for some of these routes. Right. And like a Saab 340, like a 30-seat turboprop, Uh, there hasn't been that in a long time. The only, I think, newest commuter, if you want to use that turboprop, is the Cessna Sky Courier. And uh, that only seats 19. So I just, I think we're sort of out of balance with aircraft manufacturing. And no, no manufacturer is going to build a plane that's not going to sell. Mm -hmm. So I I think there just needs to be a little bit of a discussion with the, the regional carriers about some of these routes.
0: And I think the one aircraft that's worth an honorable mention for, for just this discussion right here is the, uh, the
2: Airbus, the 220. Absolutely. I, I've been trying to find a way to work it in,
0: you know, because uh, I mean, I think I might've seen a headline um, as Early as yesterday that uh, uh, I believe Delta just upped in order uh, for additional Airbus. Yeah, I think they executed some options. Yeah, yeah. that's encouraging. I was wondering. Yeah, I'm really interested to see where that goes just because it, it seems like it's the closest thing, I think, to trying to fill that regional void, but it's still... I wouldn't call it a regional jet if I had to. It's
1: an inter-regional jet. I don't think it's an, you know, it's not like a Buffalo to New York LaGuardia jet. It's a Westchester to Burbank, California. It's like small market, you know, tertiary or secondary market to secondary market. Yeah, And that's where people want to go. You know, people typically don't like to connect through major hubs. So it kind of disrupts the regional feed a little bit. Yeah. And also with business travel, kind of blending into leisure travel, an airline may not need five flights a day between the hub and the outstation. They can maybe do two or three and just have some bigger equipment. Absolutely. Um, so no, the, the A220 is going to be interesting. Um, I, I think there's an opportunity for it to, to cross the Atlantic. I, I see uh, some so smaller cities.
2: Not to give too much away. That might be on the way.
1: Oh, I'm, sh- I'm sure someone's thinking about yeah. it. Yeah,
2: And it does have the range and... Oh, yep.
1: as as great range and it can do London City, too. And I mean, the, the takeoff yep. performance is sweet. So. I don't know. Did
2: you ever see the A220?
1: Sure did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I that think was I might have flown on. I could have phrased couple. that better. Yeah. When you were at
2: Westchester, did you ever see it? Oh, not at Westchester. It no. is. So everybody was wondering because like a 7.5 is one thing, but the A220, we don't know a lot about. At first, Breeze announced that they were going to do San Fran, Las Vegas and uh, Los Angeles. The first question everybody had was, well, we have a 6,500-foot runway. And they're like, don't worry about it. And I got to tell you, they never had to worry about it. Even 3-4, very heavy. The, the flights always did well. The issue was not the performance on load factors. Um, there were other things at play. But in general, it's cool to watch because that's the next generation of aircraft right there. You know, It's all this composite light material that allows the performance at airports like Westchester. And, and same and,
1: with the new Embraer, too. You mm-hmm. know that
2: I want to see more of that. The, the 195 is going to have is the length um it's outside of a lot of aircraft's capabilities for the markets airport capabilities for. for example, oh like this the, the gates are too small yeah design because that's an issue that um so the JetBlue looked at both of them uh in my time and both of them came to westchester and the first thing they said was like we can't fit this in westchester and a lot of the smaller airports that we want to fly us to so um i don't know if that's proprietary information but You know, that's why we're here, baby. That's why we're doing this. I know we probably next five, ten minutes, we should uh, probably wrap this up, but I just thought, you know, you cool with that? Good. Cool with that? Good. You cool with that? Cool with that? Good. The A220, I want to see every airline operate it because I think it's the best looking new plane coming out. And that... I'm completely biased because I'm looking at A two twenty models. I, I right think now. you like the sound more than the. The load. sound, okay. Can I just tell you? You know, you know what we're talking about, right? Oh yeah, no. Yeah. I live
1: I live ten miles from LaGuardia, and I can hear them spooling up. It's <laughs> the-
2: nonstop, and the more A 220s come out, the more you hear it in your sleep, and it's funny. I was. uh, I was getting fought out of the vehicle, yes, the other day, and uh, that speaks wonders about what I do. So I did kind of say it earlier, but you know what I'm doing. And I just heard the, it's the whale sound. I heard it from a distance. I took out flight radar and I couldn't see it because it was a little overcast, but sure enough, there was an A220 turning, you know, heading towards LaGuardia. So that aircraft, um, it's going to be cool to see. Uh, It's going to be interesting to see what JetBlue does with that specifically, because the Embraer One Ninety, um, they're trading them off one for one, but they're not using them the same way. You know, right. I don't know if you have noticed that.
1: No, um, that, that the A two twenty at JetBlue looks like they're doing a lot longer legs. Right. Right. And you know,
2: I want to see them do Westchester to San Juan. I'm going to put that out and uh, let the universe do its thing.
1: Yeah, I could see that, but I or they could, you know, compete with with Breeze a little bit and do. Right uh, la to Westchester oh, perfect yeah. be,
2: and I know that they they're trying to diversify a little bit because for years it was just Florida from Westchester and yeah. uh, now we got Charleston Martha's Vineyard Nantucket so things are looking up you know and would you fly the a220 or would that be
0: absolutely I think it was one of the most comfortable. You know experiences I've I had agree. in the back as a passenger flying economy. Oh, Absolutely. I agree.
2: I flew Air Canada's three times, four times, yeah. and I gotta say, every time it just felt like I was on a brand new plane. Like, yeah. I don't know if
1: you're a on one. Oh yeah, several times. Um, even got to ride up front on one of them, and it was uh, it's it's incredible, great technology, and you know, unfortunately, right now they're having some issues with the engine. Right, it feels like every new engine is having. I mean, there's always
2: gonna be hiccups. There's but.
1: always gonna be hiccups. It's just, I think it's compounded by the supply chain issues that the world's having, you know, right. post COVID, but I, I'm confident that'll work itself out. I agree. Um, the, or they'll re- do some redesigns or upgrades and stuff like that. But uh, no, it's, it's a really incredible aircraft.
2: I, w- I did want to get to this quick, uh, the Titanic submarine.
1: Um, what are your aviation thoughts on the Titanic submarine?
2: What are my aviation thoughts? Yeah. Oh man. I mean, um, we
1: could do a whole episode on this. I'm Maybe sure. we will. Yeah, maybe more well. No? I I mean I, I don't I don't know. It's a really unfortunate event. I know and tragic, it's definitely unfortunate. And I I think it was avoidable in some ways and Yeah. Um, no, but it, I I, don't, I don't really know if there well, I yeah, I guess there's some parallels um, you know, human factors and mm-hmm. and stuff, but I I don't know. I don't safety really have a safety culture it is for sure. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't really have anything
2: that Yeah, we can't go too much on that. But uh, I do want to thank you guys for making the time coming out here today for for the first episode of quick, no one's looking. I got to get used to saying that more fluently. Um, You know, for the first podcast, I thought that went very well. I do plan on having a bunch of guests on mostly aviation, but I don't want to limit myself to aviation. So maybe one of these days we'll come in and talk golf or something. I don't know. I suck at golf.
1: You good at golf? Uh, I'll let you know in about three hours. (laughs) When
2: was the last time you played?
1: Uh, I played a week ago.
2: Okay. Cool. Well, I suck at it. I can't drive. So it's been about 12 years. 12 years? Yeah. Okay. So we'll work on that. What we'll do is we're going to go, well, maybe we'll do it. We'll start a Patreon and we'll go live from the driving range. Um, so, and then uh, hopefully we'll get some sponsors in here. We'll get some promo codes going to you. We'll get some merch. And I only said half jokingly because um, I think, I don't know, I got some t shirt ideas with what I want to do. So check out my website, uh, airspace. So it's uh, my own airspace. What, what do you guys think about the last thing? What do you think about the URL? Cause I was thinking about maybe fine. I wanted my airspace.com, but it's taken at the moment. Uh, I can stick with my own airspace. I just think it's a little wordy or I can do like fly airspace or something. I don't know.
0: Um, I kind of like my own airspace.
2: You like my own airspace? Yeah. I, I
1: think it's, yeah,
2: I like it too. Okay. Well, that makes me feel good. So, all right guys. Thanks again. And, um, uh,